Okay, so I'm picking up where I left off a few moments ago. I was streaming on Instagram. Now I'm streaming on, I think, Facebook and uh, YouTube. Yeah, that's right. And what I'm doing is I'm reading through the book of Acts. I'm trying to cover as much ground as possible for a lecture this coming Saturday as an overview on the book of Acts. So I'm just trying to cover as much ground as possible in preparation for that. And I'm looking at Acts chapter 3. Um, so this is Acts chapter 3. Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, uh, the ninth hour, and a man lame from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the Beautiful Gate, to ask alms of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked for alms, and Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, Look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. <laughs> Rise up and walk. So interesting. Uh, Peter says two things. Number one, I have no money. <laughs> he's, he's walking in front of someone who's begging. He can't walk. And he says, he's expecting money. He says, I know money. But I have something that I can give to you. He says, in the name of Jesus Christ, rise up and walk. And as a result, verse 7, he took him by the right hand, raised him up, and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. Emphasis on immediately. It didn't take a long time. He didn't like recuperate or have to go for some kind of exercise. No, straight away. Things that didn't work suddenly became strong. He could stand up on his feet. And verse 8, leaping up, he stood and began to walk. So he could even jump. Uh, and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms or money. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Verse 11, while he clung to Peter and John, all the people, utterly astonished or astounded, ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people, men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety we have made him walk? So we didn't do this. It's not something that we had, some kind of power or some kind of goodness in us. It's not our piety that caused this miracle to happen. Uh, the miracle is God, verse 13. The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. And you killed the author of life whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses, and his name, sorry, I'm getting messages on my phone. Uh, I'll, I'll look at it just in a moment. By faith in his name has made his man, this man strong, whom you see and know, and the faith that is through Jesus has given this man perfect health in the presence of you all. So they are looking for an answer as to why this man can walk, why this miracle is happening. He talks about Jesus. He talks about Jesus whom you killed. <laughs> Uh, verse 13, you denied the holy and righteous when you asked for a murderer to be granted to you and you killed the author of life. 
So something good, something miraculous, something horrible. They killed Jesus. Verse 17, And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did also your rulers, but what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets, that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and turn again, that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all the things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. So I'm just curious who, who texted me. Um, let's see. Okay, all right. Oh, uh, hello, Daniel. Hi, how are you doing? Yeah, uh, sorry, I'm, I'm, I'm looking at the comments on my phone. So thanks for watching. I'm just going through the book of Acts for Philip Project, actually. So I'm giving an overview of the book of Acts. And I'm trying to cover as much ground, just reading through it and observing things. And this is the bit where um, this guy who can't walk, um, Peter and James says, you know, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to walk and you will walk. And this becomes an opportunity. And this miracle becomes an opportunity for, G for Peter to preach the gospel. And picking up from verse 22, Moses said, the Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers you shall listen to him in whatever he tells you and it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people all the prophets who have spoken from samuel and those who came after him also proclaim these days you are the sons of the prophets of the covenant that god made with your father is saying to abraham and in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed God, having raised up his servant, sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. And you hear that phrase, the prophets, the prophets, the prophets. So Moses was a prophet, but Moses says there's going to be another prophet like me. And he says, you are the sons of the prophets, verse 25, and the covenant that God made with your, with your forefathers. Meaning everything in the Old Testament, everything that the prophets wrote about points forward to Jesus. You know, everything in the Old Testament points forward to Jesus. That's a very profound statement to talk about how God is preparing us for Jesus to come. And what you see now in this miracle, in this fulfillment, is a fulfillment of Jesus being, being the one, the ultimate prophet, as it were. You know, that's why it talks about Moses foretelling this coming prophet. So what's the point of this? Um listen to him i guess you know jesus if he's saying something on behalf of god as the ultimate prophet you should listen to him you should listen to what he has to say in god's word um oh thank you thank you for doing bible study with me <laughs> i'm not sure if this is very helpful i really am just looking at the passage but if it's helpful um thank god it's really all god's word yeah, I'm just noticing stuff. It's really interesting, actually, when you look at the Bible and you kind of like notice stuff with other people. Um, and you're just wondering, what does that guy think? You know, what is guy, that guy seeing that I can't see? And uh, what's wonderful is doing Bible study together and kind of like noticing God's word together. So thanks for doing this with me. <laughs> okay, all right. Um, so it ends with uh, God turning every one of you from your wickedness. So or God sending Jesus to turn you from your wickedness. He's calling for people to repent. Um, hmm. 
I'm just thinking. I'm, I'm honestly just thinking. You know, it begins with a miracle. And sometimes when you see a miracle, the temptation is just to say, thank God. Wow, you know, God, you did this amazing thing. You give glory to God. That's the right thing. That's the right thing, right? But Peter goes one step further by saying, thank God, repent. <laughs> you know, sometimes it doesn't occur to us. The reason why God gives us that very good thing, that blessing, that miracle, is so that we will turn away from that bad thing repent and turn back towards God. You know, and sometimes there's something very convicting that we're meant to see in a very tremendous blessing that God has given us. We're meant to go, hey, why is God doing this? Hey, I do not deserve this. Hey, I do, I am sinful and yet God is gracious to me. You know, I should turn back to him. I should turn back to him. Um, yeah, oh, you're also looking at Acts. Hey, that's great. Isn't that great, actually, when a church looks at Acts together? You know, it's, you, you know it's, this is the story of the church, and therefore it's the story of our church. You know, this is our history. You know, um, one thing I really admire about the people here in the UK is that they have a very long history. Today I had a friend who was talking about Charlemagne. So not even UK, but European history. But for him, he says, you know, that's my history. That explains where we've come from, you know, how, you know, empires began. And actually, you know, coming from Malaysia, we have where we have a shorter history. I'm kind of envious of that. You know, we're only 60 years old. Here in the UK, here in Europe, people have history books that go back thousands of years, maybe hundreds of years, maybe exaggerating. But here... It's a history that's 2,000 years old. That essentially is the history of any and every church you know, that follows Jesus Christ. Because this is Jesus building his church on, you know, on his gospel using the apostles. And it all begins here. It all begins with people pointing people back to Jesus. Okay, I'll pick up in Acts chapter 4. And as they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the word believed and the, thousand of, and the number of men came to about 5,000. So initially 3,000 at the end of chapter 2, chapter 2, verse uh, 41, there were 3,000. Now another 2,000 people were added because uh, they were preaching God's word in the temple. Yeah. <laughs> I'm glad you agree, Daniel. And I, um, yeah. Yeah, that's good. That's good. Uh, you agree that, you know, it's great to study the book of Acts as a church, you know, as, as a church that's seeking to maybe be faithful to the Bible and maybe seeking to emulate that faithfulness that we see in the Bible. You know, these guys, you know, how is it that they're planning the church? And how are we then able to display that same faithfulness, maybe that same growth? Um, in numbers, yes, but also in boldness. You know, they're very bold in preaching the gospel, and that's why it grows. Uh, worth noticing in cha chapter 4, verse 1, why they were annoyed. You know, why were they so upset with these people that they locked them up. And it's worth noticing that they were annoyed not because they did this miracle. Notice that. You know, you would think, hey, you do this miraculous thing, I'm going to lock you up. You do this thing 
that is for God, you know, I hate you. But actually they were annoyed because verse one, they were speaking to the people and verse two, they were teaching and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. So what got them in trouble was not the miracle, but the message. It's not the miracle and the healing, but the message and the gospel of Jesus Christ. And, you know, you might not do the miracle, but you might still preach the message. And therefore, you should expect this kind of annoyance, rejection, this kind of persecution. Because hopefully, if you are preaching the gospel, this is one of the responses you should expect, you know, rejection of the gospel. Verse 5, On the next day, their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas the high priest and Caiaphas and John and Alexander and all who were of the high priestly family. And when they had set them in the midst, they inquired, By what power or by what name did you do this? Um, just worth noticing this list of names. Annas the high priest, Caiaphas, John and Alexander, all from the high priestly family. I think all of them, well, some of these names were actually high priests as well, and they were all in the same family. And also, they gathered um, all the rulers and elders and scribes. So imagine very old people, very senior, intimidating religious people, maybe dressed up as well, gathering together and holding this court session sitting down, court session, standing in judgment over the two apostles who healed the man who couldn't walk. Um, yeah, um, and, and they said to him, by what power or what name did you do this? Verse 8, Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is no salvation, or there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. So <laughs> he preaches the gospel. You know, he's already gotten in trouble for preaching the gospel. So what does he do? He preaches the gospel some more. They are asking him for an explanation for why he's preaching the gospel. He preaches the gospel to them. And it's the same gospel. What, the thing to notice is that he preaches almost exactly the same thing to the crowds in chapter, chapter, chapter 3 and to the leaders in chapter 4, essentially saying, you guys killed Jesus. You guys need to repent and turn back to Jesus. It doesn't matter whether it's a lot of people or a few, whether it's in the open or in private or to someone young or someone very old, Peter is just saying, you need to turn to Jesus. You need to hear this message. Jesus is the one who was killed, who was crucified, who was raised by God. You need to turn to him because, verse 12, there is no other name under heaven given amongst men by which we must be saved. He is the only way, the only name, the only path to God's salvation in this life. Verse 13, now when they saw the boldness, the boldness, what's another word for boldness? Maybe confidence. Um, 
the kind of assurance that they have when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated. They didn't go to Cambridge. Yeah, Common men. They were astonished and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. Isn't that great? They're saying, it doesn't explain why is this guy preaching to us so boldly? You know, they didn't go to Cambridge. They didn't study in this theological school. They aren't ordained. You know, why are they speaking so boldly of the gospel? You know, they're almost saying that they have no right to do this. And then say, the only thing that we need to notice is that they were with Jesus. And isn't it great that the only explanation that people can give for your boldness in the gospel is that you know Jesus. Not that you're smart, not that you're loudmouth, not like you like to tr cause trouble, but that you know Jesus. I think it's a real compliment. <laughs> Verse 14, But seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. But when they had commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another, saying, What shall we do with these men? For that a notable sign has been performed through them is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But in order that we may spread no further among the people, um, but in order that it may spread no further among the people, this gospel, um, uh, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name. So they put them outside the door, they close the door, and they have this private discussion going, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? All these powerful religious men, they are stuck. They're trying to think of a way of shutting them up, but they can't think of it. And they don't want, they don't want anyone else to hear about it, including Peter and John. So they put them outside the, outside the door because I think they're just so embarrassed. They're just so confused. They say, oh, what are we going to do? So their plan is, we're going to warn them. They're going to try to intimidate them or simply saying, you know, bully them, trying to bully them into not talking the gospel. It doesn't work, right? You know it's not going to work, this kind of thing. But anyway, let's see what happens. Verse 18. So they called them and charged them not to speak and teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John <laughs> answered them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge, for we cannot but speak what we have seen and heard. And you see, he appeals to conscience. You know, what do you think? You know, is it right for us to obey you or obey God? Because obeying you is disobeying God, but obeying God is to disobey you. And what I find interesting is Peter and John saying, Hey, you guys, what would you do in this situation? You who are trying to bully us, do you think we should listen to you? I think behind this kind of reasoning is Peter and John almost, you know, it, they're reasoning when they're using logic, logic, right? But they're saying that, I think even you can agree. I think that's what they're saying. Say, even you who are bullying us can agree that we shouldn't listen to you. <laughs> because despite your uh, arrogance, your bullying, even you fear God. Even you would teach other people to obey God rather than men. So why are you telling us to do this? I think it's a very powerful argument when sometimes, you know, people are, are trying to use religion as a reason to bully other people. And you say to them, hey, doesn't your own religion, doesn't your own God tell you to fear God 
and not man. Interesting. Uh, verse 21, And when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them because of the people. For all were praising God for what had happened. For the man on whom this sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. So they cannot do anything. <laughs> they tried warning them. They didn't want to listen. They tried bullying them. They still didn't listen. Um, and the reason why they f these religious leaders, you know, Peter and John, they can, they're bold. You know, they're just going to carry on doing what they're doing. But the reason why these religious old guys who are powerful, who, who hey, remember, these are the guys who killed Jesus in the first place. <laughs> but now they feel as if their hands are tied. They can't do anything. The reason why they feel their hands are tied is because they're afraid. They're afraid of the people. It says there, because of the people, verse 21, for all were praising God for what had happened. They're afraid that if they punish Peter and John, the people will reject them for punishment. So actually, again, going back to what Peter and John were saying, are you fearing God? Are you fearing men? Peter says, we will fear God, but by their actions by their reactions. These old, you know, stuck, religious, bullying men are more fearful of men than God. Do you see? You know, they fulfill <laughs> Peter's words by showing their fear of men rather than of God. Oh, oh, hi. Hi, Sam. Oh, wow, it's evening time. Yeah, hi. Oh, hi, Daniel as well. Yeah, thanks for watching. Um, Okay, I'm picking up verse 23. When they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant said by the Holy Spirit, uh, verse 25, Why did the Gentiles rage? And the people's plot in vain. The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. They're praying to God, but actually they're quoting Psalm 2. You know, it's, I think that's very convicting, right? Sometimes you want to pray to God and how much of the Bible is inside our prayer. You know, they quote verbatim Psalm 2 verse 2. Why did the Gentiles rage against the Lord? and against his anointed. But also they interpret Psalm 2. So their prayer is almost like a Bible study. Verse 27, For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel. Now it's just worth saying that they've just quoted Psalm 2. Yeah, okay? Psalm 2 talks about all the kings of the earth rebelling against God and his king. So it's a picture of this huge battle. They're assembling, they're gathering together. It's kind of like the scene from The Lord of the Rings where you have all these battles, but they gather together huge armies fighting against the other army. In this case, these huge armies are the kings of the earth rebelling against God, but also God's appointed king. Now, if you have that picture of this gathering, suddenly they transpose that picture, take that picture and transpose it upon Jesus on the cross against Herod and Pontius Pilate. Look at verse 27 again. For truly in this city, they were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, your king, uh, both Herod 
and Pontius Pilate along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel. He's talking about how there's a symbolism of Herod together with Pontius Pilate, you know, a Jewish king against a pagan king, together with all the peoples of Israel gathering together against God. And the, the, the kind of surprising thing is the people of Israel. The people who are opposing God and God's king are God's people themselves. That, that, that's, that's the fulfillment of Psalm 2. Verse 28, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all bonus while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders and to perform through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. So they're asking God to respond to these threats of these opposers to Jesus by causing them to, verse 29, speak the gospel with boldness, but also verse 30, to bring about signs and wonders and healing. So two things. How should God respond to this opposition of Pontius Pilate and Herod and the, and the kings of the earth? Well, preach the gospel. You know, you would naturally assume that the way in which God should respond is judgment. Destroy them, you know, convict them. And remember again, Peter and John have just been facing the same opposition from Jesus, the same people who condemned him, the same high priests. And the temptation would be that, you know, God, you know, I'm on your side, protect me and judge them. No, what do they say? Cause us to preach even more <laughs> and therefore face more persecution. Cause us to be even more bold, even more louder, even more ready to preach the gospel and maybe even to suffer for the gospel. But also to bring about signs and wonders to perform in the name of your holy servant Jesus. Verse 30. And they've just done this sign. You know, this sign that was done in raising, well, not raising, you know, the person couldn't walk. And so they raised him and caused him to walk again. These are signs and miracles and healings. What worth pointing out signs and miracles and healings that were done by Jesus himself. So it's not just any sign, but the same signs that Jesus showed when he was on earth. The apostles, one way to recognize that their authority was from Jesus was by their miracles that look a lot like the same miracles of Jesus. And that's why these miracles authenticate the apostles' office as well, because they're doing the same things as Jesus. They're preaching the same message, they're doing the same miracles, and they're facing the same opposition that Jesus faced when he preached the message, when he did those miracles. Verse 31, And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. And so God answers the prayer by shaking <laughs> the whole place. Imagine you pray for God to show his power, and then God shows his power. <laughs> During a prayer meeting, ima imagine that happening. And, you know, we go, wow. This is a real prayer meeting. <laughs> is that, that, that's normal, right? You think, wow, you know, God is really among us because he's done this miraculous sign. But notice that's just half of God's answer to the prayer. Because it says, the place that were gathered together was shaken, but they were also filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. So God answers 
um, their prayer with this very visible sign of the shaking, but also with this very visible sign of them speaking. You know, them continue on to preach the gospel, them continue on to speak about Jesus despite the persecution. That too is God's answer to their prayer. So the question is, how do you expect God to answer your prayer when you ask God to use your church to say, reach the people in Cambridge, reach the people in your city, reach the people in your country? Yes, to do that miracle, yes. To cause that visible sign that God is you know, blessing your church, you know, blessing the people of this nation, that, that too, that God can do that. But also by causing you as his people to speak with boldness. Again, it begins with boldness. It ends with boldness. The theme running through this chapter is the boldness that comes from having God's spirit that convicts you to speak the gospel despite opposition. Despite the threat of persecution, you just keep speaking, 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 speaking. That is God's miraculous answer to this prayer. Um, yeah, okay, good night. Yeah, good night, Daniel. Thank you for listening. Take care. God bless. Good. Sleep early. Don't, don't sleep too late. <laughs> okay, verse 32, just to finish off the chapter. Now, the full number of those who believe were of one heart and soul, and no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of land or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. Thus Joseph, who was also called by the apostle Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. So it ends with Joseph, this guy named Barnabas. So he has two names. He's Joseph, but he's also known as the son of encouragement. And that's what Barnabas means. Sorry. He, he, he has this nickname as this guy is always so encouraging. <laughs> you know, you talk to him, he'll always say to you something that will just lift your hearts and point you back to God. You know, know anyone like that? You know, that's a Barnabas. That's a son of encouragement. That's a quality of someone who really points you back to God and lifts your spirits up to God. But what he does um, in this um, chapter and or this description is he actually is an individual picture of the generosity of the whole church. This church is generous, but you just look at this one guy to give you a picture of how generous and how loving this church is. Because what this one guy does is um, he sold the field, verse 37, and he gave the money and he laid it at the apostles' feet. And so he did this willingly and generously. He sold something that was very expensive, like you're selling your house and give all the money to the apostles. That's how, that's how generous and maybe even crazy it is. But you ask, why did he do this? And then you go back to the explanation. In verse 34, there was not a needy person. As many as were owners of lands and houses, they sold them and brought the, the, the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. So what they did was they wanted to help their brothers and sisters. But instead of just giving them directly, what they did was they trusted the leaders. They said, leaders, this is what I want to do to serve my brothers and sisters in the church. I'm going to entrust this money to you. You distribute it to those who have need. So is generosity 
uh, given over to generosity. You're generous in giving, but giving to the church, and the church is generous in providing for the needy. There's something very accountable and very wise in this, because accountable is that you know you um, you are accountable for the well the monies for the wealth that God has given you by sharing it with those in need. But it's also wise because you're entrusting it to those those who are best to decide how it's meant to be distributed. Now, I know the moment we read this, we have two problems. Number one, how can you trust them? And number two, is this communism? <laughs> but it shows, again, the trustworthiness of the apostles that comes from the trustworthiness with God's word. The people who are trustworthy in their lives, trustworthy in speaking the gospel, are trustworthy in, how do you put this? in loving and providing for the people they're caring for. You know, they're not necessarily finance managers, they're not necessarily people who are like the best accountants in the world, but they're the ones who are looking out for the most, the most needy, the ones who are in need in their own church. And therefore, what you're doing is that you're supporting them. Say, hey, you're doing this ministry, you're providing for others, let me help you to provide for them in a way that will really you know, make a difference. And so I think this is, this is kind of like a model that really promotes generosity but also accountability in the church. We do this with the Bible, and I think uh, that makes sense in one, on one hand, you know, in evangelical churches. You know, you know, we want to provide for you to be able to teach the Bible, you know, and so provide for your means, you know, provide for you to prepare your sermons and do those kind of things, give you like a mic, you know, set up a sound system, that kind of thing. But actually need is need. And need goes beyond spiritual, you know, the spiritual points also to the physical. And so actually, in the same way that we provide for them to meet their spiritual need, it's also right to provide for them to meet the material needs. In this case, they do this for those who are needy. I think, therefore, it's kind of occasional. It's not that they give up everything they have and everyone has the same amount of money, but that they, are, they have extra, they can trust it to the apostles, and they give the, those to have none. And this is then symbolic then of what it means for them to be wise and accountable in living together as God's people. And so the summary verse is verse 32. The full number of those who believed had one heart, one soul. No one said that anything belonged to his own, but they had everything in common. They shared what they had from God. God's blessing, whether it's spiritual, material, or physical, or spiritual, yeah. Um, yeah, there's more in this in chapter 5, but I'm going to end here and I'm going to pray. Uh, Heavenly Father, thank you so much uh, for the boldness that comes from preaching the gospel. I think this is supernatural because, you know, preaching the gospel invites opposition. And I think this passage prepares us for that. You know, preaching the gospel is not easy. Um, but at the same time, preaching gospel does not come from smarts. It comes from just knowing Jesus. So Lord, you know, let this be an overflow of relationship with you that we want to tell others about Jesus. And also, when we look at the passage about love and the generosity, let this also be an overflow of a love that we would see from Jesus, that we want to be generous with one another, with the gospel, but also in providing for people's spiritual and physical needs. We pray this in Jesus' name.